welcome to How I Got Hired. This is a show about ordinary people like you and me and how they created extraordinary success in their career. My name is Sonal Behel, an international career strategist and founder of Supercharge. I strongly believe that a fulfilling career is a birthright and not a privilege for the lucky few who have access to prestigious education, capital or networks. I am now on a mission to democratize access to high-value career advice with my digital courses and with this content all over YouTube, LinkedIn, and this podcast. So listen, you deserve to have a career you actually love, even if you just got laid off, even if you took years off work to take care of a family member, even if you are underpaid and overworked, especially, especially that. If you are looking for practical strategies and tactics to build a career and life that you are proud of, you are in the right place. And when you're done listening, I want you to walk away with this singular thought. If they could do it, I can do it too. And I'm so glad you decided to press play right now because today we are speaking with Peter Zemsky. Now, who is Peter? Peter is the deputy dean at INSEAD, one of the top business schools in the world, where he wears multiple hats. He works very closely with the dean on leading and representing the school globally, while also being dean of innovation, while he is not teaching, that is. We talk about all these roles today, and I also ask him about the relevance of expensive business school education in today's world with amazing and very affordable open online courses. Um, I really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. And on a personal note, it was August 2008. I was sitting in a large amphitheater in Fontainebleau, France at the INSEAD campus. I remember that day like yesterday. So our proper classes hadn't quite begun. They would begin in a week. And we were kind of getting warmed up. And the very first class, not one of the, but the very first class I attended was with Peter. And I was in this large group of people and he was talking about organizational strategy. I was emotional that day. I was like, where have I come? Look at all these people. They're so much smarter than me. I don't know how I got in. I think INSEAD had made a mistake. I actually felt that. And I was just, you know, sort of in my shell. And I remember when Peter started teaching, something lit up not only in me, but in everyone around me. And he made the class so inclusive, so accessible. And there were times he looked around, you know, with questions and he looked at me and I, I held up my hand. I couldn't believe my hand was going up. And I had thoughts, I had learnings, I had opinions to share. And he was so open-minded about that. That was a big deal for me. I was a new mom, I was still nursing my four-month-old baby and I have such warm memories of Peter so this conversation making it happen and the fact that he said yes to it is so so special now without further ado let us get into the show so Peter Zemsky welcome to how I got hired I'm so excited to have you on the show excited to be here Fantastic. Peter, we have so much to talk about. I have so many questions to ask you. I want to start at the very beginning. When you were little, let's say schoolish, early college sort of days, what did you think you were going to be when you grow up? I'm putting that in air quotes. 
And how did you end up in academia? So in a way, it's it's pretty simple that my dad was a professor. So I was mm-hmm. exposed to that from early on. Mm-hmm. Um, I was way too good in school. So, you know, you're getting positive feedback. And then by the time you're in university, the, the faculty is looking for smart young kids to take into the profession. So in a way, all of that was happening. But at the same time, there was a doubt in me um, mm-hmm. that I, in a way, I'm, I'm a very, today, a very extroverted person. At the mm-hmm. time, I had the side that didn't completely want to retreat into academia and mm-hmm. that sort of ivory tower bubble type mm-hmm. world, even though I was getting all of that positive feedback. I mean, yet I didn't fully have the confidence to sort of break out of that because I was getting all this, this positive feedback. So in university, I, I was very much with that tension. Um, mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, so... Are you saying that there was a little bit of a conflict between an extroverted side of you and the seriousness of academia? Yeah. So mm-hmm. the, I mean, it just the ability to go deep and think deeply and just play with ideas is, is hugely seductive. And mm-hmm. yet the world out there is incredibly fascinating. What's happening in the world? One of the things I did, as much as I loved English literature and anthropology or whatever, I like you know what, I'm going to major in economics because Mm. even though I have some trouble with it intellectually and then there are obviously some pros and cons of economics, um, it gives you amazing rigor. And it seemed like the one of the paths to really be more relevant and listened to in terms of the actual activity that's happening in the society around me. So that was kind of like a safe plan B for you. Mm-hmm. In case yes. something else didn't key, work out. I think the key uh-huh. thing when I started to to broaden out, how did I get into business? Uh, my, my father was mm-hmm. a history professor. It was mm-hmm. not on, on my radar at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was looking around at, at PhD programs, and there was this one that caught my attention at Stanford Business School, which yep. had this amazing track record in game theory. So yep. how yep. rationally do you respond to the actions of others really seductive intellectually. But the amazing thing at Stanford was not only did they have an economics program, but they were applying it in um, marketing and finance and accounting. I was like, not even really knowing much about business. I think this sounds really interesting. But I remember, so I was quite good. I got a prestigious National Science Foundation fellowship. Um, MIT was like the top program um, for economics. I remember my advisor from, from Penn, I was an undergraduate at Penn, was sitting there with a senior professor at MIT. I'd gotten in. They called me. And it was just like this incredible pressure yeah. to take the safe path and go yeah. get my PhD at MIT with all the other NSF fellowship winners. And, you know, somehow, but I, I just looked around like the economics department at Penn, incredibly bright people. And it's like, wow, I'm good. But if I work really hard one day, Maybe I can too can be a tenured professor here. It's like, but is that such a big prize? I, I I'm going to walk away from that, and I'll take the 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 offer at Stanford Business School, um, still again to do the same kind of studies, but in an environment where maybe there'll be some um, additional options. I, I think I was already starting to think like a strategist. Yeah, way before your time. I I want to rewind and and just 
you know, catch a couple of things that you said that I think are very key, particularly for someone who's listening today, who is kind of feeling a little bit lost. I think we all do at some point in our career. Or, you know, if we have kids, nephews, nieces who are kind of on this path that, what do I do? Where do I want to go? There's a few things you said. Number one, when it came to academia, it was kind of a natural choice because I was good at school. Right. So one thing is I was good at it. The second thing is when you were talking about certain subjects, I I heard you use the word seductive almost twice. I love that because it's just pulling you. You are not beating your drums and doing all the hard work. Let me make it interesting. Because I'm also guessing the third thing, which you didn't say, is also you 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 enjoy it. When you're good at something, you tend to enjoy it more. And then you're like, yeah, academia, definitely. I, I, you know, do, do you feel that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, again, I, as you bring up children, I have four kids, 16 to 28. And, and so one of the things you're always hoping for them is they do find something inside themselves that attracts yeah. them. And, and I think that's yes. a piece of it. Yes. But again, part of me is still, you know, a business strategy. And I'm thinking, yes, you need to think about your capabilities, but also in a career, how does that fit with the environment? Right. So yes. it, sometimes you can have things that that attract you but are attracting millions of other people and are going to be really competitive and and it's going to be difficult. Or I see people like, you know, you're attracted to being an elementary school teacher. And and for some people that's amazing, but it's also, it can be grueling. It doesn't pay that well. And -hmm. you have to also, I I believe, try and bring together your capabilities and your passions with also a bit of a look at what's happening in the labor market and, and how can you, you know, bring that together so that's sure uh, got it got it it's thought. one piece of the puzzle it's not the only piece mm. of the puzzle i i always the pragmatist always the strategist so um absolutely love that and making a choice what a good problem to have mit stanford any mini minimo and you were like this will make me do this and then it'll help me to be this tenured professor is that really what i want i love that you went beyond mm. right you went uh, 5 10 years ahead which is something that a lot for a lot of us is not easy to do because it's like always sort of in the moment mm. and you know um so when it comes to sort of getting into academia right everybody has their own path their ambition uh, some want to go to the top of the food chain. Some are very happy to be at the tenured level, wherever they are, you know, different strokes for different folks. Uh, so, Peter, how did you end up becoming deputy dean at one of the top business schools of the world? I am from INSEAD. I'm very biased. I will say it is the best business school of the world. I don't care if you disagree with me. I'm talking to the listener. <laughs> Side note. But how did that path sort of come out for you, um, Peter? Hmm. Um, so I'm sitting there at Stanford. And again, this is the mid-90s. So INSEAD yes. yes. is good, but at that time, not yet great, I would say, and hmm. not really yes. as much yes. on the radar. And But there was uh, a very good economist from INSEAD who was doing a sabbatical there. So I just interacted hmm. with him, said, hey, if hmm. you're, you you should consider. And hmm. um, so I did. I, I really, though, only came for three years. I thought, oh, well, it's a good place to go. I was making, I'd actually... Although it's an economics program at, at Stanford Business School, I they created a strategy department while I was there. Um, mm-hmm. I went to the new faculty they had brought in, and they didn't have a PhD program, but I sat and I worked with them. So I had this dream to actually transition from economics to strategy. Um, it's and it was a bit soon. So although mm-hmm. like all the all the top schools still wanted to talk to me, Kellogg and Wharton and, and Harvard. 
um, they weren't really sure about hiring me. It was like, I don't know, you're this economic theorist teaching strategy. So I actually had a, a bit of a, a rough moment there. But uh -huh. the fit was, with INSEAD was, ended up being amazing. So I, I think mm -hmm. the fit, in answer to your question, how do I, I get to where I am, mm -hmm. um, it just ended up being a great school for me. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, they were looking for young academics who would bring amazing training and rigor and research, which mm -hmm. I did. And then what they brought to me was an environment that was not only doing rigorous research, but was passionate about delivering impact in the classroom. And I think NCIAD is known for that. But one thing people may not know um, as much is that not only do the faculty do we do re research and teaching, but at NCIAD, there's more of a tradition of doing institutional service. Mm -hmm. So um, I was mm -hmm. getting into administration in small ways early on. And, and for me, that rich mix of activities just completely energized me. And, and I yeah. could continuously grow and there were new challenges in one or the other areas over the last over 25 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I love that. I, I think um, I want to highlight something here. You were saying there was a lot of um, business schools who wanted to talk to me. But when it comes to sort of putting money where the mouth is, right? They were, they were falling short. And I know this feeling personally. Everybody's like, oh, so interesting, so exotic. But when it comes to, hey, where are the jobs? Where are the roles? A lot of us are feeling that, particularly in the current economic climate. I also want to highlight something, which is the power of accidental meetings. My gosh. I mean, if that professor had not been at Stanford, who knows, Peter, where you would be today? Really? So that is uh, not to be sort of undermined at any point. When we meet people, you know, you must have also obviously, you know, formed a very positive impression, uh, strong impression at MNE for him to say, you should check this place out. So when we meet people for the first time, I'm speaking to the listener, do not underestimate those first impressions. You don't know where it's going to go. Be good to everybody. <laughs> be kind to everybody, not just because they could help you, but also because it's the right thing to do. Um, yeah, just to riff on that. So I'm, yes. um, there's a, I'm a big yes person. So not yes. just around meeting people. I love to meet people, but having new experiences. Um, even just like today, I do a lot of stuff in video. I, I, I do a lot of fireside chats. I yes. haven't done much in podcasts. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to say yes to this. Um, I'm so lucky that you did. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm going to learn. This will get me into it. And um, so... Yeah, so just just saying yes to things uh, yes. hugely. Again, obviously, there's. It's easier for me. I am someone with too much energy um, in general. So so I have, and I'm pretty quick. I can switch gears between one topic and another fast. Mm. But but it mm. allows me to you know to take on a, a wide range of stuff because despite being a strategy professor, I don't have a huge belief in planning. I mm. much more think about serendipity on the fly. Again, you have to think strategically mm -hmm. when opportunities pop up. Does it fit with where I want to go? But you, you've got to be open to all kinds of activities because the world is a complex place that's constantly serving you up with interesting opportunities if, if you're looking. And curveballs. Absolutely. I, I think this is so beautiful. Um, what you just said, you know, you're playing to your natural strengths and your natural strengths could be you said, I have too much energy. So what does that mean? I'm going to say yes to everything. Not a lot of deans of a lot of business schools are public, are visible. This is actually helping you and helping INSEAD to stand out. So when we tap into that natural strength, it helps us to stand out. And a side note, I'm just going to say, this is so interesting that you said that because I'm totally imagining you like Jim Carrey, and, you know, yes, man. 
<laughs> um, there's uh, two things I wanted to say. I think that Jim Carrey movie and the second was I'm reading this book right now. It's so funny you said that by Shonda Rhimes, who's a very successful TV producer uh, who's produced Grey's Anatomy and you know How I Got Away with Murder. So many of them. Now Bridgerton in, on Netflix. She wrote a book called My Year of Yes. And because people said, you never say yes. Her sister said, you never say yes to anything. You're always so closeted. And she took that very personally and life changed. And she wrote this whole book on it and it's huge successful. So um, I think there's something there that that a lot of us need to dig deeper into. All right. Speaking of shifting gears, Peter, let's get a bit provocative. We are in recording this at the end of 2022. So we are in this world where we have access to amazing, like amazing online courses, um, open courses free online. And there is, I, I don't know if I can call it a movement. There's a lot of people who have become anti, should I say anti-establishment, anti-academia, anti-formal you know formal education, and, you know, glamorizing this whole uh, entrepreneurship and I'm not necessarily agreeing with that. But they're like, why would you spend six figures on uh, an MBA when you can get this education by signing up for Gary Vee for 500 bucks or something like that? You hear this all the time. And I want to know what goes through your head when you listen to all this. And what would you say to someone who's a big critic of um, MBAs and, and business schools in general? It's an interesting one for me. I, I'm responsible for innovation at the school. So part mm. of my role is to bring those voices inside. And I, I, I mm. led us to launch our online courses. I led us to, to put infrastructure in to do live virtual during the pandemic. Yes. Um, however, it's definitely not so simple, right? And one of the <laughs> things we've absolutely seen in the pandemic is the limits of digital. It's great. We can do remote work. We can do remote learning. And yes. yet, I think we all see that there's something missing, right? There's a, still a hunger that's left un, un, untapped when you're just interacting digitally. And that's absolutely proven true in what we do, which is high-end management education. Because the, the reality is, at most, half the value is, is what the faculty says up front. Again, you need good faculty, you need provocative, you need the latest thinking, but then the real magic happens peer-to-peer. -peer. It's getting people together, the interactions, the relationships that can be formed. And as good as, as digital is often for one-to-many communication, it's just not the same richness that you get on peer-to-peer. -peer. So in fact, um, my challenge is to classic um, innovators dilemma disruption, where we sit at the high end, we could just sit there and focus on on face to face. Yes. Although in the long run, I completely agree, digital just gets more and more important. So we, we do have to do both. Oh, yeah, I completely agree with you. I was on campus back in May, and I was in class and I was energized in a way that I was not energized in any online course. So I want to stay here for a second with you, Peter. You know, while I completely agree with you, I'm also thinking, right, let's, I'm, I'm playing the devil's advocate here. A lot of us know what we're missing when we are talking, you know, sort of, you know, either hybrid or pure digital or pure in-person. Now, the, the folks that are you know, let's say in our kids category, right, because I have a 14-year-old and in 
four, eight years, he's going to be thinking about um, what does he want to do, studies, etc. These are digital natives. So a lot of them have seen uh, how helpful it was online. And then a lot of, you know, some schools are like, let's do this model, that model. Would you say the same sort of argument here for the coming generation? Uh, well, clearly there's an openness to digital mm -hmm. that increases generation to generation expectations yes. that yes. if I'm in university today, the, the lectures are recorded so I can watch them at 2 a.m. if that's my schedule. So some of that is coming. Yes. But again, if I actually look at the market for online uh, at online courses, it's actually not the young people. I think a mistake that's been made consistently is to mm -hmm. think that young people want to learn online. No, young people in some ways are the ones that benefit mm -hmm. the most, that need the most, the social connection. They're like trying to figure yes. out who do I marry and, and who's my friends for life and who am I? And yes. that's not happening on, on Zoom or, or on I on am Google. so happy you said that because people base a lot of these on anecdotes. And uh, the data is, is showing even when you start your new job, you're 22, those water cooler conversations are not going to happen in a 100% work from home environment. And you're going to miss out on promotions. I'm just going to say it like it is. So thank you for yeah. thank but, you for bringing that in. But the flip side would be, so who is it who's embracing mm. this stuff? It's mm. actually busy professionals. It's like, I got two kids at home. I've got mm. a job. I want to mm. move ahead. Mm. I, I, I want, if I have time to socialize, I want to socialize with my kids. I'm here because I need to understand the latest in you know machine learning for digital marketing so that I get that advantage. And it's much more instrumental, career-linked, and, and tends to be people uh, you know more senior in their career. Okay, got it. So it, it's just perfect timing for them um, uh, and very specific. I like that you said that. It's very specific, someone who wants to get ahead but has certain restraints, constraints at home and, and they're taking advantage of digital and that they have been taking advantage even before the pandemic. So uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to talk to you now, Peter, about, you know, you, you go to Davos at the World Economic Forum, you speak with a lot of CEOs, all these movers and shakers <laughs> around the world, and you talk to them, right? You're listening to them. You're someone who represents, you know, for them as well, right? a source of talent because of the school. What are they talking to you about, Peter? I wish I could be this fly on the wall. What are they sharing with you when it comes to the biggest challenge in terms of hiring and retaining their top talent? So you have to realize within Davos, there are different streams of conversation sure. that are people sure. are part of. I, I tend to be part of tech conversations, so maybe a yes. CEO sure. roundtable on what's happening with your digital and data strategy. Sure. So, so that's yeah. the, the conversations yeah. I'm naturally in. Within that, though, and especially on the talent side, it's really how do you find the people who can bring the tech and the business together, right? So people, mm. like, just take AI. So many people got excited, hired a bunch of data scientists and data engineers, and then two years are surprised when they've got proof of concepts all over the place. Nothing's actually scaling and driving business impact. And again, we know from digital before, the magic happens not just when you hire software engineers, but where the people running the business start to understand that there's potential there and, and you get that business logic together with, with the 
curiosity and the, the capability in tech. So that, that, that would be one, one set of conversations. And then within that, so even, for example, within the school, how do we promote MBAs to think about this new role of product managers? So that's, that's mm -hmm. a great career path for MBAs mm -hmm. where you really, maybe if mm -hmm. you've had some background in, in engineering, now you've mm -hmm. got a business background, how do you really sit there and think about how products, um, tech products especially, need to evolve over time? So that's one. And then obviously more recently, you know, a lot of interesting conversations about what to do with remote work. So that's, mm -hmm. that we've all mm -hmm. been part of those, but those are still very, very interesting. Very interesting to see how different organizations and different leaders um, can come to very different conclusions so far. Yeah. Yeah. Very tricky to navigate all of this. And, you know, someone who's listening today to your first point and they're like, Ooh, Ooh, I had that suspicion. I'm also, you know, going down the same route. How does someone listening today, you know, marry that, in your opinion, the best of business, the best of both worlds, right? The best of the business side, the best of the technical. It doesn't have to be a technology because I feel technology is all pervasive now, right? Banking, automotive, FMCG, anything we thought so-called traditional. I mean, there's tech behind all of that. How does one marry both of them so that I become this undisputable, you know, talent that everybody wants to hire? For me, I think the go-to capability to look for in yourself, to nurture and play up is curiosity. As you said, technology is everywhere. If, mm. if you think of it as this thing that's intimidating or mm. this thing that IT is going to take care of, mm. you're not going to get there. If you just say, oh, yeah, this is like something new to understand. I've got to understand social media. I've got to understand a department store. No, now you need to understand, hey, what's what's up with, with mobile and cloud data and analytics, just that curiosity around, hey, what can it do? How do we get value out of it? How does it impact my business um, mm -hmm. is, is exactly what you need. And then yeah. similar side, for people coming yeah. on the technology side, they yeah. just need to be curious about the business. Oh, how does yeah. this business create value? Who yeah. are the actual customers? What are their pain points? Um, yeah. it, it's yeah. all about curiosity, problem solving, and learning underlying yeah. all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is a very, like, this is an answer I've heard from a lot of guests. And there's obviously some, you know, so much truth to it. Now, I want to stay here with you, Peter, if you don't mind, because you have been a very naturally curious person from the get-go. So this comes, you know, easily to you. Someone who's listening today is like, yeah, yeah, sure, I'm curious. But in reality... When it comes to making certain decisions, we tend to go with the familiar. Are there one or two tools you would recommend, you know, templates, tools, whatever, you know, hacks, Ooh. whatever they call it these days, that can help someone to get over that and get into these uncharted waters? So I don't I don't have an easy answer, but mm -hmm. I, I do think there's many, many ways you can learn mm -hmm. and, and explore topics. Mm -hmm. And you need to figure out which is best for you. So mm -hmm. some people, they just like to curl up with a book. Um, that's mm -hmm. actually not me. It's kind of embarrassing. I don't read that many books. Um, I'm You're much kidding. <laughs> much, I know it's shocking. I, I, I read, but I'm anyway, I read more short things. Um, mm -hmm. But for me, for example, you can learn amazing things talking to mm -hmm. people. So mm -hmm. like what I try and do is I'm trying things myself. One of the things I love about not only being an academic, but being say Dean of Innovation, mm -hmm. I'm out there in my role, trying mm. different innovations. Mm. And so I, I'm seeing issues. I have questions about that. And then I look for other people who are also innovating in similar but different ways. 
so that we can exchange. I can share what I'm learning, hear what they're learning. Um, and, and so I don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. But because I'm, I'm already engaged in the space, uh, and I'll come back to that in a second, I, I, I know the questions to ask. And again, the, the, the example here is this is something that works very well for me. Um, but mm. there, there are many, obviously, mm. from podcasts to mm. online courses, there's so many ways to explore a topic. Um, but I think the last one is, you know, every project or role you take in your career is is both about the immediate. Is it what's it bringing to you in terms of compensate compensation and how do you feel in the role? Mm-hmm. But every role is an opportunity to learn or not or learn about mm-hmm. something different. Mm-hmm. And so it just is going to come if you're somebody who likes to do good in a job and you put yourself in a certain role you're going to have to learn usually something to do a good job. So you need to be, I think, again, this is this thing we talked about earlier, not just being in the moment, but looking ahead a little bit when you select roles, um, where do you go? I think just to elaborate a little thing, one of the things I find sort of saddest, most um, frustrating is you sometimes you see um, alums mid-career who are doing great, but say they've got trapped someplace. Like a few years ago, I would see people like, wow, I'm like managing the traditional business mm-hmm. and, but I'm not getting any of the new digital assignments because mm-hmm. people see me as really good as the traditional stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, where is this going to put me in five years? Yeah. Um, and, and that's, it's exactly that kind of stuff that you keep need to keep an eye on in my view. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's very important. Um, And I think the beauty of your answer is you kind of, we're going back to what we were talking about in the beginning. It's almost like a full circle. You lean into what, lean into what comes naturally to you. You don't always have to fight it, you know. Okay, I'm going to learn creativity today. I'm going to learn curiosity today. How do I? So if you want to read a book, curl up with a good book, and the book is all about how do you foster curiosity or you learn a a biography of someone, you're becoming curious. That's one way. Listen to podcasts. You go and talk to people. If that's your thing, that's where you get your energy from. I don't want to say introvert, extrovert, because that's so, you know, we are complex Mm. human beings. But Start somewhere. I think that's what you're saying. Start somewhere because sooner or later, otherwise you will fall uh, behind. Not to cause you know fear in anyone, but uh, the people who tend to get ahead. And I'm sure you've seen this, Peter, with 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 our with the alumni who are doing well, who are more successful, are the ones who said yes when they didn't have all the answers. Yes, for yeah. sure. Don't be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's really about for me. I mean, energy is hugely important. So as you said. Follow the things that that attract you, but also look for things that are blocking your energy. Like what is it that's bringing you down and holding you back? And then how can you shift? How can you yes. learn from that? Right. Learn. Yes. It's a huge part, obviously, about learning from yourself. And same thing when you you look at new roles, new career moves. The more you understand what is it that that energizes you, yeah. um, and and what is it that just just drives you nuts and and how can you yeah. pick the right the right opportunities self awareness absolutely and um, you know related to this so peter we're recording at a time where a lot of big and small and medium companies have announced layoffs so there's a lot of people out there in transition good smart capable people um educated all of that stuff right now let's talk about someone who's listening today who's going through a very difficult career transition things are not working out so, you know, they're like, curiosity sounds nice. I, I'm going to have to do it. I don't have a choice. I'm going to have to do it. What would be overall your best career advice to someone who is unhappy today? Mm. Um, I, I do think 
looking at where some of the long-term opportunities are, right? You want to, again, you don't want to walk away from where you are. So if you've just been laid off in tech, well, mm-hmm. you know, the the long-term of tech still looks really good. We could talk about that. But the point is it got oversold, overhyped um, yes. a little bit in the last few years, and there's been a correction. Yes, over, overfunded. Over and for sure overfunded. Yeah. But it, but the long term, in, in my view, from everything I hear in, in companies, um, it's 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 not going away. The the fundamental economics of the the scale you get out of digital technologies allows them to create value, good margins. You therefore need top people. Typically, top talent has the leverage to create a lot of value. So it, it is quite attractive, but you do need to find a way to ride out this storm. And again, you're, you need to find ways that keep your skills relevant because things are moving, keep you fresh and attractive so that when things pick up. Again, one thing we know is that actually in these downturns, you're typically going to see some really good companies founded because there's a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of talent out there. People aren't just rushing. It's not easy. So they're thinking deeply about, okay, would this really work? And, and again, so we're going to see some very interesting companies founded. Um, it's not going to be easy. The money will not not just be flowing like it did a year ago. But again, two things. Some of those ideas will really pay off. And in any case, in tech, you, you're still going to get credit for the learning, the boldness, for the fact that you tried something. Um, it could be your own company. It could be joining um, a, a you know, a scale up or or something um, in some way. So, you know, a little bit keep the faith, but, but understand that it's tough and it's, it's, it can be a bit, bit scary. You see everyone around you suddenly here's, oh, there's another 6,000 people looking for jobs in my sector. Um, I I don't want to downplay some of the struggles. Yeah, no, I know. And, and at the same time, like you said, the appetite for risk, um, when a lot of these companies start, right? They're like, hey, how how much worse can it be? So if it doesn't work out, I, could, I don't have a job anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that is probably one of the reasons why, you know, so many companies, um, uh, Slack, WhatsApp, a lot of them started in the middle mm-hmm. of a downturn. I mean, maybe just to elaborate, obviously it's not just startups. That's not for everyone, sure. but there's sure. a whole opportunity for freelancing. I mean, many, sure. there's a great thing when senior in your career, sometimes you, are thinking about making a transition. I don't want to just be a cog in yeah. a corporate machine. I'd yeah. like to have a few different clients or a few different yeah. roles. Well, it's a hard it's a hard transition, and it's it's often a big leap if you are in a cushy corporate job, getting you know uh, chefs cooking your food at some big tech company. Well, now's the time maybe that the opportunity cost of trying some of that isn't so great, and and there are some companies that will have budgets want to do things but but won't be ready to hire so so it is potentially in some some areas a good time to freelance absolutely i mean when i was talking about startup it was also that startup mentality which we can learn a lot from and how we treat our own career like a startup and we are the ceo of that startup right as opposed to like you said it's fine a lot of people want to lo- you know love the whole cog in the machine thing and that's okay why fix something that's not broken but if you're unhappy that's already a sign that it's time to do something different. It's time for a change. Amazing. Peter, we're coming close to the end. I can't believe it. It's flown so so fast. I have this particular question I ask 
every single guest of mine. When you look back on your career so far, I don't know, 25, 30 years, something like that, amazing. What is that one standout defining moment, if there is one, that supercharged your career and helped you to move closer to your current success? So I, I, I talked about earlier about where I chose to study. That, that was big, but something mm-hmm. that at the time seemed small, but mm-hmm. proved uh, really determinant was uh, you know, 15 years ago, I got to a level of a professor where you get a chair. So you get recognized as, as a chair. And we, we, I was given this Eli Lilly chair mm-hmm. and it had originally been sort of around some sort of policy and business's role in society. And I was like, you know, it's great to have a chair and I'm very happy to be associated with Ilya Lilly that had, had funded it, but that doesn't feel like me. So I said, well, mm. I talked to people, I said, I know we don't often do this, but can we go back to the company? I'd really, thinking about myself and what excites me, could we, would they like to have a chair in strategy and innovation? Mm. And it was, I, I had been teaching a lot on innovation. Um, so that sort of appealed to me and I, I knew that I had energy there. So anyway, that went through and I suddenly was the Eli Lilly chaired professor of strategy and innovation. And then I just found myself doing more and more innovation. And sure enough, a few years later, um, I was dean of innovation at INSEAD and had this opportunity to, to as we went into MOOCs in 2013, yes. and we thought about where we go in San Francisco, in the US, yes. and I opened yes. in San Francisco, it just opened up a whole set of, of new activities. And even my teaching, I, I just doubled down on how do I apply strategy to markets that are being disrupted by innovation. So it was, at the time, it just seemed like a small thing. But yeah. looking back, it, yeah. it really was a little bit of a fork for me. Oh, my gosh. This is so amazing because, you know, there's two things here. When somebody is given a chair in a business school, right, it's sort of a big deal. It's privately funded. So around you, right, Peter, the, the, the atmosphere is, hey, be grateful for this, right? On one hand. On the other hand, you're like, yes, I am bored. <laughs> you know, this is <laughs> not know. me. You don't want to come across as ungrateful. We're uh, recording this, you know, around the Thanksgiving time, uh, which is a big holiday in the US. And at the same time, there is this itch inside you for innovation strategy. That's kind of more your DNA. And it's something you readily accept. So the power of asking. That's what I'm going to say here. The power of asking. And they said yes, right? A lot of us wouldn't even ask because we don't want to look. We don't want them to feel bad. Now, in any scenario, the power of asking a question with the good intention, you never know where that takes you. So here you are today, innovation strategy. That is what Peter Zemsky is known for. That is your personal brand and, you know, not uh, <laughs> the other stuff which you've done, which is amazing, you know, economics, et cetera, but you've chosen this, right? So I'm so glad that you're reflecting on it and you're like, because a lot of us, when we think about those small little things, they add up, right? They add up over a period of time and then they become this huge thing. Amazing. Peter, so someone who's listening today and wants to learn more about you, what is the best place for them to do that? Um, so I guess the, the social platform I currently use the most is, is probably LinkedIn. Yep. Um, on, on LinkedIn, I, I often, like you, I, I, I do fireside chats with interesting yes. people. Um, yes. So it's, it's a good way to keep up with me. And then you'll, from time to time, I'll, I'll show up on live someplace on the internet and you can yes. tune in. And I love to get you know questions during, during my sessions. Just staying in touch with people who are curious, who are trying things, um, hear what they're learning, 
hear what questions they're asking. I, I, yes. I think hearing what my students are asking and seeing how those questions changes over time is hugely enriching for me. Absolutely. And I know this from personal experience. You definitely walk the talk. And I wish you so much continued success with INSEAD and beyond. Thank you so much, Peter, for your time today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. All right. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Peter as much as I did. And again, I'm going to make sure you have his LinkedIn URL in the show notes. I want to give a big shout out to Peter and his assistant, Geraldine, to make this interview possible. Peter is a very difficult guy to get a hold of. He is globetrotting at any point of time. And we had to go through quite a few hoops to make this happen. What was your favorite takeaway today that you can apply to your own career? Tag me, tag Peter on LinkedIn and share this episode with your friends. Speaking of applying lessons and learnings to your career, we have a ton of cool episodes coming up in the new year from the most amazing, some very untold success stories on how they forged through despite the odds. If that sounds great to you, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And hey, if you're feeling up to it, leave me a review. I love reading them. And it makes a huge, huge difference to how much this podcast is seen and impacting others. I want to thank you so, so much for listening all the way through. I appreciate you so much. Until next time, take care and bye for now. Thank you.